When persecution threatens, the Holy Spirit will give you the prompting of what to say. That's something that we need to hear and understand. Good morning, good afternoon, good evening. Wherever you are, my name is Rod Hembert. I'm Jen. And this is Bible Discovery TV. We are reading through the Bible. Today we're in Matthew. This is Matthew chapter 10. It is great. We're going to teach on it in five minutes. I'm excited about it. And it's very good. I'm also excited about Corey and Ryan being here. Corey? Jesus, in our reading today, is accused of being a follower of a false god. We're going to talk about that today. Ryan? Well, in Matthew 12, Jesus mentions the Queen of the South, and my segment today is about her. Very interesting. Okay, Janice, what did you do? I had to quickly put on my glasses to remember that my segment today is called The Compassion of Jesus. All right, get your Bible guide out. Open it up. If you don't have one, why not? You can call us or write to us or go to BibleDiscoveryTV.com. Let's look at what God is saying. Matthew 10, 16 through 26. Behold, I send you out as sheep in the midst of wolves. Therefore be wise as serpents and harmless as doves. But beware of men, for they will deliver you up to councils and scourge you in their synagogues. You will be brought before governors and kings for my sake as a testimony to them and to the Gentiles. But when they deliver you up, do not worry about how or what you should speak, for it will be given to you in that hour what you should speak. For it is not you who speak, but the Spirit of your Father who speaks in you. Now brother will deliver up brother to death, and a father his child. And children will rise up against parents and cause them to be put to death. And you will be hated by all for my name's sake. But he who endures to the end will be saved. When they persecute you in this city, flee to another. For assuredly, I say to you, you will not have gone through the cities of Israel before the Son of Man comes. A disciple is not above his teacher, nor a servant above his master. It is enough for a disciple that he be like his teacher and a servant like his master. If they have called the master of the house Beelzebub, how much more will they call those of his household? Therefore do not fear them, for there is nothing covered that will not be revealed and hidden that will not be known. Matthew chapter 10 Verses 16 through 26. Matthew 10, Matthew 11, Matthew 12. This is what we continue to study today as we go through the Bible. And the Bible is a great book. I believe it's the Word of God. And I hope you do too. If you don't, read it with us and see if you can hear God speak to you. The Holy Spirit of God is His presence. When someone you love dies in the flesh, you know that they are gone because their presence is no longer there. Their spirit is, is gone. Paul the Apostle speaks about being absent from the body and being present with our Lord. See, our bodies are, are kind of a transformer for our spirit. 
and we live and breathe throughout our bodies until they can no longer sustain life, at which time our spirit is released. Now, in the afterlife, there are two choices and only two, heaven and hell. There is no in-between. Whatever decision we make about God in this life chooses the path of our afterlife. We make those decisions now. And this is why followers of Jesus are so focused on telling others what God has done for them. We spread the, the good news of Jesus Christ and try to introduce people to the Lord. He alone is in control of the afterlife. And this view and focus can also bring very real persecution. In fact, persecution is the expected result of Christ living through us. Jesus was persecuted, and in most cases, we will be too. Now, I, I don't like that, but that is true. In fact, today, there are more people being persecuted than ever before. And that's fascinating in history I'm talking about. Really an interesting time. So take your Bible guide, turn to today's passage. And if you don't know, have your Bible guide, why not? You know my standard plea here. Call us or write to us and we'll discover, we'll give you a Bible guide. If you go to BibleDiscoveryTV.com, you can click on it and go get the PDF files. And uh, the PDF files will be downloaded just exactly how you see everything here and how we produced it. Today we talk about this, but we're going to deal with 9 and 10. Jesus heals a paralyzed man. Jesus calls, again, Matthew, uh, a discussion about fasting. Jesus heals response to faith. Jesus heals the blind. I mean, there's a lot here. The need for workers. Jesus sends out 12 apostles. I mean, this is absolutely amazing. And Jesus and John the Baptist. And then Jesus' prayer for Thanksgiving. This is amazing. And let's pray and listen to the Lord. Father, I pray today as we hear you and we trust you, Help us to read from the Bible to change our hearts. Thank you, Lord. And we love you, Father. Teach us your way and show us your path. In the name of Jesus Christ, and we said together, amen and amen. Now, let's look at Matthew chapter 10, verse 16. It says, Behold, I send you out as sheep in the midst of wolves, as sheep in the midst of wolves. Not a good thing for the sheep. Therefore, be wise as serpents. Smart as snakes and harmless as doves. But beware of men, for they will deliver you up to councils and scourge you in their synagogues, gathering places. And you will be brought before governors and kings for my name's sake as a testimony to them and to the Gentiles. When they deliver you up, do not worry about how or what you should speak, for it will be given to you in that hour what you should speak. For it is not you who speak, but the spirit of your father who speaks in you. This is fascinating. When the persecution threatens, God's Holy Spirit will give his disciples the words to say. Persecution often gives the disciples of Jesus Christ an opportunity to bear witness of God. I mean, it's true. Do you know how the church was spread in the book of Acts? We'll get to it. The church was spread because persecution clamped down. And the Bible says that they fled everywhere out of Jerusalem. And they took the gospel with them and told people about Jesus Christ. 
I'm telling you, this is absolutely stunning and amazing. We need to keep that in mind and, and see persecution not as a, okay, it's an evil thing, but God uses it in such a way that he makes it great. People come to know the Lord. That is awesome. That's amazing. Now let's go on to the scripture and learn more from chapter 10, verse 21. Now brother will deliver brother to death and a father his child and children will rise up against parents and cause them to be put to death. And you will be hated by all for my name's sake. Hated by all for my name's sake. But he who endures to the end will be saved. I mean, Jesus, I mean, there's no other question. Christians will be hated for their faith in Jesus Christ. They will be. And Jesus told us that his disciples will be hated for his name's sake. Beloved, do you understand that Jesus Christ knows exactly what he's saying? This world has fallen. It's been thousands of years and this world has fallen. And Satan is running around deceiving people. And by the way, the same spirits that were there in the Old Testament times are still here today. Did you know that? Just modulated in different people in different ways in different nations. But it's the same spirit. And so, beloved, we continue to fight this battle. And the Lord will show us victory as we hold fast to him. You say, Rod, how do I do that? Well, let's go on. Verse 23, when they persecuted you in this city, flee to another. For assuredly, I say to you, you will not have gone through the cities of Israel before the Son of Man comes. Wow. Did you hear that? I say to you, you will not have gone through the cities of Israel before the Son of Man comes. I mean, a disciple is not above his teacher nor a servant above his master. It is enough for a disciple that he be like his teacher and a servant be like his master. If they have called the master of the house, Beelzebub, that's what they call Jesus Christ. That's the God of evil. How much more will they call those who are of the household? Therefore, do not fear them. Don't fear them. For there is nothing covered that will not be revealed and hidden that will not be known. So all persecution for the Lord's sake will be made known. Nobody goes under the, the radar. Everybody is seen here. God is a perfect judge. We must pray for God's mercy and help for those who hate us for serving Christ. Now, now listen to me. You could be watching this television program on the internet or watching it on television and hate my guts. Why do you hate my guts? I don't know. There's something about them. I don't like them. I want to pray for you. Father, help them. Help them to see who you are. Because it's not me that they're reacting to. It's you. And it's your word. Help them to hear you, Lord. May the demonic forces release them so that they can make the right decision about who you are and come to you. And here's how you pray. Say, Lord Jesus, I believe you died on the cross and you rose again three days later. I want you to come into my life and be Lord of my life. In Jesus' name, amen. 
this character of King Saul, this historical figure. Now, I think it's probably fair to say that most of us, when we think of King Saul, we think of the bad guy foil to King David. But an entire book of the Bible is also dedicated to mostly his reign. Of course, that's 1 Samuel. So I'm really excited to jump into it today and see what we can learn about Saul. Welcome back to the program. In our assigned reading today, Jesus rebukes the scribes and Pharisees and says in Matthew chapter 12, verse 42, the queen of the south will rise up in the judgment with this generation and condemn it. For she came from the ends of the earth to hear the wisdom of Solomon, and indeed a greater than Solomon is here. Jesus refers to the queen of the south, who was also the famous queen of Sheba, who came to visit Solomon. Now, while no one really knows for sure who she was, there are different ideas. And my segment today just represents one of those ideas. That said, I do think that it is really one of the most interesting theories because it connects to another mysterious woman, the Bride of Solomon, mentioned in the Song of Solomon. Check it out. Soon after Solomon was appointed king of Israel, God blessed him with such great wisdom and prosperity that he became world-renowned. Even the famous but mysterious historical figure, known to us only as the Queen of Sheba or the Queen of the South, came to witness Solomon's greatness firsthand. While her name and the location of her kingdom isn't known, most biblical scholars believe Sheba was located in southwestern Arabia, which is modern-day Yemen. Interestingly, this conclusion flies in the face of the Jewish Roman historian Josephus, who claimed that this queen was the ruler of Egypt and Ethiopia. While most Christian scholars think Josephus was mistaken, there are a few who accept his record. Two such scholars are John Ashton and David Down. As a matter of fact, using a revised and shortened Egyptian chronology based upon the Bible and other historical and archaeological markers, they argue in their book, Unwrapping the Pharaohs, that the Queen of Sheba was none other than the famous female pharaoh, Hatshepsut. Several reasons bring them to this conclusion. First, Jesus refers to the Queen of Sheba as the Queen of the South in Matthew 12.42. And since the Bible often refers to Egypt as the land of the South, even referring to Egyptian kings as kings of the South, it is logically possible to identify the Queen of the South with the Queen of Egypt. They also point out that the key historical event in the lives of both queens is their expedition to a distant land. Just as the Queen of Sheba is known for her great expedition to Israel, so too is Hatshepsut known for her expedition to the land of Punt. While nobody really knows where Punt was, in her inscriptions she refers to it as God's land, saying that it was a beautiful land, a fitting reference to the land of Israel at that time. Egyptian inscriptions also apparently refer to Punt being in Israel. But one problem with this idea is that the flora and fauna depicted in Hatshepsut's expedition have been identified as coming from Africa, not Israel. However, it is possible that the flora that she brought back could have been imported by Solomon from Africa. Solomon was an avid gardener and zoologist and had imported trees and apes from Africa. Lastly, if the Queen of Sheba really was Hatshepsut, then there may have been another incentive for her to make the long trek. Hatshepsut had a sister named Neferbidi, 
But because nothing more is heard of Neferbiti, scholars assume that she died prematurely. But it is possible that she was the daughter of Pharaoh, whom Solomon married. She then may have been the bride in the song that was sung at Solomon's wedding. She describes herself as being dark but lovely, and Solomon addressed her as Mythili among Pharaoh's chariots. In that case, Hatshepsut would have been visiting her sister. So according to this idea, the Queen of Sheba is identified as the famous Egyptian pharaoh Hatshepsut. And if that's the case, then her sister Neferbiti could be Solomon's bride who's referred to in the Song of Solomon. And again, let me just say that no one really knows for sure who the Queen of Sheba or Solomon's bride was, but I wanted to present you with this idea because it's not really well known about, and it could be right or it could be wrong, but it's good to be aware of it in any case. You know, it's interesting because the Bible is one of those books that, uh, of course, it's true inside of it, but you can learn by studying history and by looking at Jewish tradition and by looking at everything else, some of the other traditions surrounding it, you can, mm -hmm. you can really learn a lot and uh, it helps you understand the culture. Absolutely. Yeah, for sure. Important. Mm -hmm. So thank you for that piece, Corey. All right. Well, today in our reading, in our assigned reading with the Discovery Guide, twice uh, Jesus, it, it twice is mentioned this false god Beelzebul. Um, now in chapter 10, Jesus is sending out his disciples and he's encouraging them that they need to stay strong and, and, and they need to expect resistance uh, from certain people. And in verse 25, he says, if the, if the head of the house has been called Beelzebul, how much more the members of his household. So in other words, you're going to be accused of worshiping or getting your power from this false God. And then later on in our reading, in Matthew chapter 12, we see Jesus casting out a demon and then facing off with the Pharisees who are telling people that Jesus is casting out demons by the power of Beelzebub. So who is Beelzebub? Take a look. In an incident recorded three different times in the Gospels, Jesus is accused of casting out demons by Beelzebul. In all accounts, Beelzebul is said by the accusers of Jesus to be the prince of demons and even to be in possession of Jesus. Jesus rejects this claim by pointing out that Satan doesn't drive out his own team. Satan doesn't drive out Satan. It was the Pharisees who had accused Jesus of operating by this power, but a problem existed with their claim. Exorcism wasn't just practiced by Jesus. Some of the Pharisees themselves cast out demons. Jesus said to them, and if I drive out demons by Beelzebul, by whom do your people drive them out? Today, it's not the strange to us accusation of Jesus being demon-possessed that bothers readers of the gospel, but rather the identification of Beelzebul. Who was this entity to these first century Jews? We know he was seen as an evil spiritual power, the prince of demons, and that Jesus seems to equate him with Satan in his defense. But it's a peculiar fact that in no surviving contemporary source or Jewish tradition is the name Beelzebul mentioned. In the fourth century AD, we see Beelzebul being interpreted as another name for Satan based off of Jesus's assertion, but that's still a few hundred years after the fact and doesn't help us really understand how Jesus's original hearers would have understood the term. One option is to link this gospel use of Beelzebul with a mention in 2 Kings 1 to the Philistinian god of Ekron, Baal's above, 
In 2 Kings, the ungodly Israelite king Ahaziah, son of Ahab, had injured himself severely and sent messengers to inquire of this Baalzebub. The angel of the Lord has the prophet Elijah intercept the messengers and send his message back to the king. Because of his unfaithfulness to God, Ahaziah will die. The rest of the story includes more messengers of the king dramatically being burned up by heavenly fire. So if the Pharisees were alluding to this passage, it certainly would have been a direct way of condemning Jesus. The people were wondering if Jesus was the son of David, the Messiah in the kingly line. The Pharisees then would be saying, Jesus is more like the imposter Ahaziah, son of an evil king and pagan queen, whose allegiance lay with the evil god of Ekron. Furthermore, association with this pagan god led to the fiery deaths of the king's associates. In other words, Jesus was an evil spiritual imposter, allegiance to whom would lead to the direct judgment of God. There's a lot more that can be said about the interesting linguistic changes that seem to have been made from Baal's above to Baal's bow, but for now it's sufficient to know that there was a tendency in Judaism to expose foreign gods as demonic powers, even changing the meaning of their name to reflect that. So this association with 2 Kings chapter 1 and, and uh, Beelzebub in the scripture is not only very possible, but it's very attractive because it understands why, it, it helps us understand why the Pharisees would want to make this association. So they're clearly, uh, if this is the case, clearly saying of Jesus that he is an uh, imposter king. He is a false king trying to lead the people away from the worship of the true God, which would be the God of the Pharisees, and into worship of a false God, the God of Ahab or Northern Israel. And that discussion uh, it has continued through the years. Mm -hmm. And uh, it, it really is fascinating because the time will come when they will recognize Jesus as the Lord. Right. And then they will all know it. Right. And everybody will mourn because of it. And so that's, it's. I mean, the connection to the future and the past is just stunning. It is, it always is. <laughs> and uh, it's great. Anyway, tell us about the past because right. Saul was a good king, <laughs> yes. sort of, maybe. I you know, medium. A good start. Yeah. Medium king. No. <laughs> okay. So I did a six-part Bible study. It's called Understanding Saul, A Journey Through First Samuel. So uh, this it was meant for small group Bible studies. It's You can do it over six weeks. It's six sessions. Uh, and the idea is that uh, you're going to learn a lot about King Saul uh, from the scriptures themselves, from history as well, uh, and, and why it is that God would appoint Saul as the first king of Israel, knowing that he would fail, knowing that he would fall. There's some really interesting things in there. So if you'd like to know more about it, go on our website. It's available physical copy or digital download for a suggested donation of $60 to the ministry. You can also call or write to us. And that is just an excellent piece. Thank you, Corey, for that. Janice? And this may be the last teaching that you're going to get from Corey in a little while, nothing bad. Absolutely wonderful She's news. She's not going away permanently. Not permanently, <laughs> no. but just temporarily. This may be your last taping day with us, Corey. It We're thinking be. the calendar actual day today is August the 9th. I know that you're watching it September the 22nd, mm -hmm. if you're watching it by the this date, the calendar date that we're taping, but Corey, you're getting ready to have another baby. I am. And we are so excited. We're going to be grandparents just, again. 
great. And so we're so thrilled. Yes. But the only downside of that is that your chair will be absent with you for the next little while. Yeah, next and, few months. And so keep Corey and her family in prayer, would you please? And we will see you again, Lord willing, when we begin to tape yes. the new year. January 1st. January I'll be 1st, there. 2023. <laughs> so that's wonderful. That was just my little nanny break uh, and mom break uh, to, to let you all know that uh, Corey's seat will be absent for a while, but she will be coming back. I put the compassion of Jesus. You know, I mentioned the other day, that as we start through the Gospels, I always love to, to really zero in on the subtleties of the uniqueness of Jesus and how he dealt with people in so many different ways. We can learn so much as followers of Christ if we would just slow down and really ask for the Holy Spirit's help when we come to his word and begin to read it uh, on a daily basis. You know, as we look at um, Matthew chapter nine, we see that Jesus forgives and heals a paralytic. Um, he calls Matthew the tax collector. He's questioned about fasting. He restores life to a girl and he heals a woman. We see all this two blind men are healed. Uh, um, a mute man speaks and we come to the compassion of Jesus. Then Jesus went about all the cities and villages, teaching in their synagogues, preaching the gospel of the kingdom and healing every sickness and every disease among the people. But listen to this verse. But when he saw the multitudes, he was moved with compassion for them because they were weary. And some of the translations use the word harassed. They were weary or harassed and scattered like sheep, having no shepherd. Then he said to his disciples, the harvest truly is plentiful, but the laborers are few. Therefore, pray the Lord of the harvest to send out laborers into his harvest. And that's how chapter nine ends, or yes, chapter nine ends. And then in chapter 10, we see God calling, Jesus calling his 12 apostles and sending them out. And in much the same way, as followers of Jesus Christ, we are sent out in his name. We are supposed to be his ambassadors. We are supposed to be the light and the salt of this world. We cannot do that unless we have his word in our heart, unless we are following him, and unless we are putting that into action with his help in our life. And so how are we doing on that? We need to make sure that we know God's word, put it in our heart, and live it in action in our lives. Be compassionate like the Lord Jesus. Every day we are on this program and there's many places in the world we broadcast to which are under persecution. And if you're watching this program on those places, I want to pray for you. Father, I pray for the persecuted church. I pray that you would help them and strengthen them. And help us in North America as our persecution surfaces, that we would serve you always. 
And I pray, Lord, in Jesus' name, that you would have your will in our life. And we thank you, Lord, for that. And we said together, amen.